0: Amen. Please take your seats. Wonderful to see you here at our revival service. And um, just want to bring thanks and greetings from our senior minister, Colin Dye. Uh, Many of you have been praying for him and the small team that went last week into a very sensitive nation. We don't want to share where that nation is. It's so sensitive. In order to minister to persecuted Believers and Colin asked us to specifically hold him up in prayer, and I'm delighted to let you know that mission accomplished. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Everything that Colin wanted to do for the Lord was done. It was successful. And uh, he, he that's right. And he flew in this morning back to London, and as soon as he flew in, he went out again. he's got three days with our national leadership team of our ELIM movement, of which we are part, and he'll be with them discussing national business. And then, later next week, he is flying out to Brazil. Uh, we have very strong links over the years through Colin's ministry with Brazil. We have our own Brazilian churches and ministries here. And we've also been pioneering new Brazilian works out there in Brazil. And so Colin is going over there to bless those churches, bring his apostolic input into those churches so that uh, those works can continue to prosper and thrive in everything that they're doing. So uh, he'll be away uh, for the next two weekends. We'll keep you updated with how things are going so that you can continue to pray for him. So that, so that he knows that his apostolic ministry has our 100% support, 100% prayer. And that wherever our senior minister goes, we're with him in spirit. Amen. Amen. So, I just wanted to say that. Also, the Revival Times, I know Christian has already mentioned it, but um, Colin was able to get this Revival Times out a week early because there's so much in here to bring information to you as you make your decision of how to vote for the mayor elections. Uh, we have profiles of the main candidates and uh, and what they think about Christianity and the things that that we feel important. Read that section. We've also got a very powerful article by by Colin. When politicians cross the line, what should Christians do when the state starts to dictate to religious beliefs? We already know Well, if you've been around, you'd you'd have known that uh, Ken Livingstone has already set out uh, his religious program for the next four years if he becomes mayor. He will endeavor to use his status as mayor, if he's voted in, to make London a beacon of Islam to the world. Well, at least he's let us know what his plans are. If you've not heard that, he's quoted, it's all there in that article. But it's not like we're party political here at Kensington Temple. Um, I mean David Cameron as well uh, tells us to preach morals and then uh, begins to do, uh, to disestablish morals by taking the foundation of every good society, marriage, marriage as defined in the Bible between a man and a woman for the procreation and looking after of children and wants to dismantle it and, and can not understand why we don't agree with him. Uh, These people are in error because they don't know the Scriptures, nor do they know the power of God. How do we respond? How do we think about these issues? Read Colin's article. It really uncovers what's going on and how we should respond to those. And so, there's enough information here in the Revival Times and what you're hearing on the news for you to prayerfully consider how you're going to vote. Please, number one, vote. If you're able to vote, vote. We can't critique or moan about local government or national government if we don't engage in it. So please, number one, vote. Secondly, vote according to the information you have and, try and, and vote prayerfully. Don't vote conservative just because you always do. Don't vote labor because that's what your parents used to vote. Don't, vote. don't, don't act like that. Sometimes I'm amazed. I meet Christians. And, um, I- I- you know, if you, put a don- if you put a blue rosette on a donkey, they'd vote conservative. If you pet- put a red rosette on a cow, they'd still vote labor. That- that's not intelligent Christian voting. We need to keep up to date with what's going on, seek the Lord, get information, and then make our vote count. Your vote counts. So let- let's use it. Amen? Amen. Wonderful. So that, that's there for you. Also, um, want to mention that as we were leading up to Easter, we had our Grace for the City events, uh, three consecutive Tuesdays, finishing at Westminster Chapel during Easter week. And at those three meetings, our senior minister preached uh, our, our sermons that built together. On the uh, subject of, is anyone thirsty? Anyone thirsty? And so that's available for you. Audio, three CDs, eight pounds, and DVD, 12 pounds. The DVDs are great because you get to see the three different venues that we took, and there'll be a lot more of that to come as well. We are mentioning my new book uh, this Sunday and next Sunday because during this month, we're making this new book, No More Law, available for you at a special KT discount here in this building of £10 instead of £12.99. That will be made available for you this Sunday and through the week and next Sunday. But just to say after next Sunday, um, the special offer closes. We won't be pushing this from the platform uh, like we have been doing and it will revert to its published price of £12.99. So just want to let you know that. So if you want to buy this book, um, you 've got an opportunity at a discounted price for this week i don 't get any of the royalties I have put I am putting all the royalties into our work to win Muslim nations for Christ, and so that 's where that 's going in. So I just want to let you know Colin gave me a great privilege to preach at the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service this morning on the subject of my book, No More Law. And if you, if you want to know where that book is coming from and where that book is going from, then you can get the message of the 11 or 9 o'clock, or you can see it free on our website. It should be up by the end of Monday or, or Tuesday. Wonderful. Well, if you have your Bibles with me, With you, I want to continue on the theme of no more law that I began this morning on this special Sunday. And I'd like you to turn to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. We're going to have a good time of ministry later today. We're going to believe God for gifts of the Spirit and a breakthrough in whatever needs that you have this evening. But before we do that, we're going to preach the Word. Galatians 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman and the other by the free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. God has set us free. But God wants us to remain free. One of the most important things as a Christian is to stay living free. And, and it's not as easy as you might think because legalism and the flesh is always trying to creep into our lives. Religion is always creeping at your door. It's amazing how religion can come into our lives, you know. There's so many different ways. I mean, sometimes we charismatics and Pentecostals, we look at more traditional churches and we criticize them for being religious. But, you know, some of the most religious uh, people on God's earth are charismatics and Pentecostals. And the reason I say that is because we naturally assume that we are free. We naturally assume, we call ourselves charismatic, we're of the Spirit. We even call ourselves Pentecostals, we're of Pentecost. And we assume that we are free, that we are liberated. Well, the Galatians began by being charismatics and Pentecostal. Paul preached them the pure gospel of Christ crucified. He portrayed Christ as crucified before their very eyes, we see in Galatians 3. And they believed the pure word of the gospel because the gospel is the power of salvation to all that believe. If you believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, if you believe in the word of God, it becomes power to you. You see, God gives us His Word, we believe in it, and by the Spirit, His Word becomes life and power. God's Word is seed. If you plant it in your heart by faith, it will produce what it promises in your life. We'll see in this passage that we are children of the promise, God wants to give promises to you, and he wants them to be be born fruitful in your life. And so Paul is speaking to the Galatians. He's saying, why? Why when you began by faith, you believed in Jesus, that he died for you and rose again. You believed in the message of the Holy Spirit, and by faith, the Holy Spirit filled your heart and cried, Abba, father and empowered you with signs and wonders and miraculous interventions. And your heart was soft to God. And like a child, you received the kingdom of God by simple faith and trust. I was saying this morning when I preached on no more law, that we are the sons and daughters of Abraham that believe. And Abraham is The Old Testament model as believers that we follow, not Moses. And I ask you the same question I asked those people that were here this morning Are you a follower of Abraham, or is your life and the way that you live Christianity more like a follower of Moses? Because with Moses came the law. And the law didn't bring grace, do you know that? The law didn't bring the Spirit, the law didn't bring mercy. The Lord didn't bring salvation, but the Lord did two things. It revealed sin and it, reve- and it restrained sin. You see, Abraham lived by faith and trust in God. Again, I said this morning that Christianity is all about trust issues. It's about trusting God. It's about believing what he said and walking day by day saying, I trust you, Father. I believe you're with me. Even when things don't go right, we don't stop trusting the Lord. Now, Abraham, when he met God, he had no law. Galatians tells us that the law came 430 years after Abraham. If you went to Abraham and asked him to name one of the Ten Commandments, he would just look at you blankly and say, Ten Commandments? If you were to ask him about the laws of of Moses, he wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about. And neither would his son Isaac, the son of the promise. And neither would Jacob. And neither would Jacob's 12 sons, including Joseph. If you spoke to them about the law of Moses, they'd say, Moses who? Law? Ten commandments, what? We have no idea what you're talking about. And for 430 years, the people of God lived free from the law. How did they live? They just trusted the Lord. And his faithfulness to the promises that he gave to them, and Abraham did have trust issues to begin with. we 're going to see in this story that Ishmael was produced because Abraham had trust issues with God. What about what are trust issues? Well, we talk about that person's got trust issues. And when we say that person's got trust issues, what we're normally talking about is that they had a relationship with somebody who promised them the earth and delivered them nothing and let them down. Or they had a friendship where they trusted their friend, but the friend betrayed them. And out of negative experiences like that, we can say, you know, I don't know if I can trust anybody again. I've been let down so many times or I put my trust in someone and they promised that they'd do something, be something to me and for me and they let me down and now I've got trust issues and it's difficult for me to trust again. You know, you see this at every level. I think of pets that have been abused, dogs that have been abused by their owners and then they're they're taken away and put in a good home and it takes a long while for that dog To trust anybody a long, long while. You you, you go out to feed them and they think you're going to hit them. Trust issues. Well, at the heart of Christian life is trust. Trust, not laws, not regulations, not touch, not taste, not drink, not act this way, do this. Not external things, but the heart. God is interested in our heart and he wants us to trust him abraham had his ishmael abraham had his times where he just didn't trust god but he grew in trusting god and one by one his trust issues as he matured were dealt with till abraham became totally 100% trusting in the god who promised him and even when he received isaac and god said to him take your son and sacrifice him to me. By that time, Abraham had such trust. He said, All right, God, whatever you say, because you promised me that in Isaac would be my seed. So that means that even if I have to sacrifice Isaac and he dies, you will have to raise him from the dead. And Hebrews tells us Abraham believed that God would do it. I mean, what a trusting heart. And God wants us to grow in our trust with Him to trust his promises, to believe that when he's promised it to us, even when it looks like the opposite is happening, trust the Lord. And so for 430 years, all of God's people trusted the promises. They all had promises from God until the children of Israel uh, were in bondage in Egypt. And even then God gave them a promise. It was a whole land, a promised land. And he said, trust me. And I'll take you out of Egypt into the promised land. But they didn't trust him. They had unbelieving hearts. They never dealt with their trust issues. And I spoke all about this this morning. If you're interested in more of this, just watch it on the internet. They had trusted. They never believed him. They never trusted him. And they were a wicked and perverse generation like had never been seen. And so what God did is he brought the law into the children of Israel. And the law revealed sin. It showed sin exactly as it was. And it revealed God's righteousness. The standards that God had. And it restrained the children of Israel from sin. When they received the law the first time they had a golden calf. And they were committing all kinds of sins. And this, this, this law Paul tells us throughout Galatians. This law was like a teacher. A specialist teacher that came into an unruly classroom and said, Right, from this day on, this class will do what I say, when I say, and if you don't, I'm going to punish you. Here are the rules of the new class, and if there's anybody steps out of line, they'll be punished. And immediately the class begins to learn that if they don't obey what the teacher tells them, they will be Punished. But they're doing it on the outside because of fear of punishment. There's no bonding between the, the teacher of the law and the people. There's just fear. They don't commit adultery, many of them because they don't want to get stoned. Not because in their heart they don't want to. They don't steal because they know the penalty that the law says. And the law brings a sort of outward conformity to holiness, but God's not interested in legalistic Christians that appear on the outside holy, but on the inside their heart is unbelieving and untrusting. God is in concerned what's on the inside. God is concerned in the covenant of the heart. He's not concerned with whitewashed tombs that look like great Christians on the outside, but inside they haven't got an ounce of faith or trusting. God wants us to walk in the footsteps of Abraham, the father of our faith. He wants us to walk daily, believing that the God of the promises is faithful. To trust him in good times and bad times, in times of lack and times of blessing. Every day to wake up and say, take my hand, Father. I'm walking with you today. I'm trusting with you. So no wonder here in verse 21, when Paul looks at them, he could have said, Tell me, you who want to follow Moses, because I am following in the footsteps of Abraham. But he said to them, Tell me, you who want to follow the law, who is your mother? And he spoke this story about Abraham. And it's a family story. You know, we're all part of God's family, if you believe in Jesus. But I want to talk to us tonight that in this place today and watching on internet, the question is, I know you're a child of Abraham, but which of his wives is your mother? And who are you acting like? Which of his sons are you acting like and living like? You say, how dare you? Of course, Sarah is my mother. Of course, I'm like Isaac. Well, Paul asked this question to the Galatians. He says, are you of Hagar? or are you of Sarah? Are you like Ishmael, or are you like Isaac? Yes, Abraham's your father. But who is your mother? And he compares the two wives, and he compares the two boys. And I want you to think about this, because I want to make sure tonight that everybody is a walking, living Isaac in this place. And that if we're talking about who is mothering you, that you've come from the right mother, not the wrong one. Because you could be living as a child of Abraham, a Christian today, but but you could be exhibiting the frailties and weaknesses and fleshliness of Ishmael. And it's time for you to drive that out of your life once and for all, to stand fast, as he says in chapter 5, verse 1, in your liberty, to be a Christian that is free in spirit, free to follow God, that isn't under the law, that isn't fearful of condemnation, that has no fear of their Father in heaven, but is moving in the power of God, the promises of God, the grace of God. That type of Isaac can't be stopped by anyone. So let's compare and let's judge our hearts and our lives by this story of a family. Abraham had two sons, and the first thing we see that he had one by the slave and one by the free woman. He is comparing the two wives, Hagar and Sarah. Now we know that Sarah was Abraham's wife. that, That in fact God changed Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah that means, it means princess. Princess, that's what it means. And so here we have God saying, you know, Sarah, you're a princess in my sight. Abraham to Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. But he had a word for Sarah, the mother of And he said, Sarah, Sarai to Sarah, princess. We are descended from Abraham. God wants us to be multipliers. God wants us to prosper in everything that we do in the gospel and to multiply. That's our inheritance from our father, Abraham. And do you know what? Even Ishmael got that blessing. Do you know that? Ishmael multiplied to be many, many, many groups of people, didn't he? So he got that from his father. But from his mother, what did he receive? Did he receive his mother as princess? No, she was a slave girl. She was a slave even when Abraham took her for a child. It was, he was, in the, the tradition of the time, Abraham would take Sarah's um, slave woman, have a child by her, and that child would then become Sarah's. That was the, that was the, the idea. She was a slave woman. She was not free. Whereas Sarah was free. This is what the Bible tells us. And the difference was this. But he who was of the slave woman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman according to the promise. We have already here the flesh and the promise. What does the flesh tell us? What is the flesh? The flesh is many things. But basically if we bring it. The flesh is living life without God. The flesh is doing it in our own strength. And many Christians live according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. Do you know that? Uh, Because you can't tell the difference between their lives and people that aren't Christians, except they have certain standards, certain religious morals, certain religious standards. But the flesh is always living your life without God. You say, well, I'm not of the flesh. Okay, how much do you lean on God? How is your prayer life? Because I guarantee that if you don't have a prayer life, that is an indication that you're not leaning on God to see things done. That is an indication that you are tempted to lean on the flesh. Those that pray know their need of God. And Abraham, we know the story of Ishmael it came to a place where they had trust issues. God will bring us time and time again in our lives to a place of a trust issue so that we can grow and mature as believers. He'll put you in a place where you can choose to trust him or you can choose to deal with it in your own strength and your own power. Abraham and Sarah had come to the place where where God hadn't delivered on time as they thought. They thought, you know, God has promised us, but it doesn't look like he's going to do it. I guess he means us to make it and do it ourselves. So often in the Christian life, what we do is, is we, we, we don't wait on the Lord. We, uh, we go ahead in things that God hasn't told us to do. Or we try and make the promises happen before time. But God wants us to trust him. And so the flesh and the promise. And Paul says these are symbolic of two covenants, and then he speaks about two covenants, two mothers, two covenants, and two mountains, the covenant of grace, and promise, and faith that comes from Sarah, and the covenant of law, and look at the two different mountains that are described here, Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, and Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And that corresponded to the Jews at that time that had not received Jesus. But the Jerusalem above is free. Now, where do you live? We we can talk about what mother do you have. Whether you have the mother according to the flesh, according to human effort, or whether the things in your life are born from the mother of the promise and the mother of faith. But where do you live? Which mountain in your daily life do you live on? Do you live on Mount Sinai Or do you live on Mount Zion? Well, if we go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, we have a little bit more of a description of these two mountains, Mount uh, Zion and Mount Sinai. And it's speaking to Christians, and it says this in Hebrews 12, 18, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness... And a gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of the trumpet and the sound of words which which sound was such that those that heard begged that no further would be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command that if even a beast touches this mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. This is a description of the mount where the law came. And you can see it's a terrifying description. A description of darkness and fire and gloom and whirlwind. The the trumpet of alarm and the sound of words. And that even if an animal came to that mountain and touched it, it would immediately be stoned. It was a terrible sign. And even Moses was full of fear. Fear in your life is an indication that you're still under law in the way that you're living. Perfect love casts out fear. But when we believe that God is going to judge us, and when we begin to be scared of God, and when we begin to fear life and fear tomorrow, these are indications that the spirit of the law is getting into our lives. Remember what I said about the law? that it came in like a special classroom teacher and the classroom was all over the place and the law said, you'll behave or you'll be punished. You'll be, and they behaved because of fear of punishment. Do you live your Christian life? Are you frightened that God's going to punish you? You know, sometimes when I'm counseling somebody or you meet somebody, they come, they say, you know, I'm really frightened that I'm under God's curse. I'm really frightened that, that because I've made mistakes, God is going to punish me. I feel that God's unhappy with me and, and I've made my mistakes or I don't think I'm making the grade with God and I'm, I'm worried that, that God's spirit has left me. And, and all these concerns. And when I hear these things... I don't say it to them directly because I need to counsel them out of it. But I say, I hear the law. When someone comes with these fears that God's abandoned them, left them angry with them, that God's going to judge them, that they've made mistakes, that God's not, God hasn't for- forgiven them. When I hear these things, I just think, I hear the law. I hear condemnation. I hear fear. I, I-, I don't hear faith. I hear somebody that's on this mountain, the darkness of their life, the fear that's with them, the concern of being condemned or judged. I hear someone that's under the law, whether they know it or not. But you're not under the law. You're under grace. That's not your mountain. This is your mountain. It goes on to say, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to thousands of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to, ju- and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. What a wonderful picture of two different places. The one is one of fear and condemnation. The one is where the law comes and reveals your sin and condemns you for not walking righteously. But the Bible says you've not come to that, but you've come to a different place. You've come to the city of God. You've come to the place where the blood cleanses you from every sin. You've come to the place where angels are there to minister to you. You've come to the place where God's believers are there. This is a place of lightness, a place of grace, a place of mercy, a place of love, a place of fatherhood, a place where you can dwell. Don't dwell in the darkness of your fear and unbelief, child of God. Come out from the law, like Paul is saying to the Galatians, and realize that there is now no more condemnation for those that believe in Christ Jesus. There is no more condemnation. You've already passed from condemnation to acceptance, from death to life. The moment you believed, you came off that dark mountain of condemnation, and you were transferred into the city of God, a safe place place, a place where God's presence is with promises and angels and the spirit of the Lord to lead you. Then verse 27 of Galatians, we see this. Rejoice, O barren who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. We've seen these two women we have seen these two boys, one of the promise, one a miraculous child, one an intervention of God's grace, one having absolutely nothing to do with God, the Ishmael, the slavery. It's like Hagar living on this dark mountain with Ishmael. Absolute opposite to Sarah, the princess, and Isaac, the child of the spirit, the child of the promise. And their habitation, where they live, is in a place of glory. It's a heavenly city with a heavenly blessing. One is supernatural. The other is natural. And now we get this incredible faith call. It says, rejoice, O barren. Can you imagine if you'd been trying for a child as long as Sarah had? And you came to the front later on in this service as we'll open the front. And you said, yeah, I'm trying for a child. I said, so how long have you been chi- trying for a child? Decades and decades. All right. Well, I'm not going to pray for you. Rejoice, O Baron. Pardon? Rejoice. I want to hear you praise the Lord. Come on. Shout hallelujah for me. Shout hallelujah. I want you to praise God as if you're just about to give birth. I want you to praise God like, the, like that, that pink has turned blue. You know what I'm talking about? I want you to shout as if you've got twins, triplets, multitudes. Amen? I want you to do, And you're like, God, what sort of place is this? I'm trying to get, I've been struggling, and they're just saying rejoice. But this is, this is an amazing passage here, this rejoice. It's saying, look, this is how Sarah and Isaac, who live in the city of God, This is how they're to deal with their problems, their barrenness, their difficulties. Because Abraham, I've taught you this before in this evening, Abraham's God had two major characteristics that we see in Romans Romans 4. Two major characteristics. I brought this up last time I preached here. The two characteristics of the God that Abraham knew was this, that he gave life to the dead. And that he called those things that are not as though they were. He brings life to the dead. Abraham knew and Sarah knew that, that, they were, that by the time it was too late that both of them were dead when it came to giving children. But they came to the place where in hope against hope, they believed that God was fully able, Romans says 4, fully able to perform what he promised. We need to come to the place of full assurance, That what he's promised us, he is fully able. And to look not at the deadness of our situation or our circumstances, but like Abraham and Sarah, to believe that God can bring life to the dead. Whatever circumstances you're facing, you think it's just not changing. Jesus, let me tell you something, God can bring life to the dead. (laughs) If Jesus was raised up from the dead, nothing's too difficult for you. I don't know if you've had this testimony in your life, but there's times in my life when it's been all over in different aspects and circumstances. There is no way that, that could that's going to come. And it's sometimes God lets things die to raise them up again. I mean, in a manner of speaking, Isaac was already dead, Hebrews says, because in, in, in Abraham's mind, he'd already done the deed because he knew that God was able to raise him from the dead. Friends, the resurrection is the heart of our Christian faith. And it's not just about believing that Jesus is raised from the dead. You have to believe that God is in the daily resurrection business. You need to look at the dead souls that aren't saved yet. They're on your prayer evangelism of three. You need to look at them. You need to say, they look like they're never going to be saved. And you're just going to say, in the name of Jesus, live. That God would raise them spiritually from spiritual death. I was in my cell group today and we were together and, we were, and God had given me, a, uh, um, God had spoken to me personally and also to my cell members. And he'd given me the passage of when Jesus uh, healed and forgave the paralyzed man. Do you remember that? And God spoke to me and, 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 and said, look, when those men brought him in through the roof, Jesus looked at the men's faith that had carried him. He looked at their faith, and then he said, my son, your sins are forgiven, and raised him up from his paralysis. And it was like the Lord was saying to me, if those men hadn't brought that paralyzed man, would he have ever met Jesus? And I thought, well, naturally speaking, no, Lord, because he couldn't get to where you were. I mean, even with the men, he couldn't get through the door or the window. And it was like the Lord was speaking to me and saying, what about the men that you know that aren't saved? They're paralyzed spiritually, they will never walk through those doors of their own accord unless you carry them, Bruce, by your faith and your prayer and your witness. I thought, my God, it's true. Some of these men that I know, I look at them and naturally speaking, naturally speaking, there's no hope. They're not interested and they'll never come. They are paralyzed by Satan and sin. And they are, like that paralyzed man, can't, they'll never come to see Jesus. They'll never come. But those men, they didn't just think about themselves. They, didn't, they could have said, let's go down to the house meeting today. Let's go down. Let's get there early. Let's get the seats and let's hear Jesus speak. They, they could have done that. And, and, and I suppose many times that's what we do, don't we? We present ourselves to meet with the Lord. We gather together and that's fantastic. But these men remembered the person that was unable to come. Physically, But also, we're talking spiritually. And the first thing that Jesus did to that paralyzed man... I don't know why I'm sharing this, but I feel this is where God wants me to go. The first thing that that Jesus did to that paralyzed man was release him from the paralysis of sin. You'd have thought the first thing he should have done is made him get up and walk. But Jesus saw his main need said, my son, your sin's... Forgiven you. And you couldn't see it because he was paralyzed. He could barely, he could barely uh, flick his eyelids. But on the inside, something leapt up free. His spirit man was made free. But it was those men that brought him. And they carried him by faith. They carried him to Jesus. And they didn't give up when it looked like they wouldn't get saved. <laughs> when they'd got to the house, they said, No way can we get in the door. What about the window? No way. It's absolutely jam packed. Oh, well let's leave it. No, no, they got on the roof. Have you? Do you know how hard it is to get a paralyzed man up on a roof? And they lowered him in. And it was like the Lord was saying, that's what I want to see. I want to see souls, and sinners carried by your faith, prayers, and witness to meet with me. Do you know my daughter, severely disabled, Speak about 10 to 20 words. That's growing. Thank God. God is doing a work in her life. But do you know, uh, for the whole of this year, when she meets me and sees me, she always has one word that she says to me. Souls. Souls. It's absolutely true. Souls. Even those people that help us, the nurses and everything that come and help us, they hear Charlotte, when I come in and say hello... She says, she says, souls, souls. Amazing. Amazing. Souls. And I can't be with her without her saying to me, souls. Where did she get that from? The Holy Spirit. Souls. Souls. God wants to give us a harvest. But he wants us to be the ones that are the carriers And we're going to bring them and they're going to get sick. Anyway, so we're in my cell and I'm sharing this again. And I'm saying, right, we're going to pray and we're going to do some carrying in the cell. We're going to name these people, discuss these people, and we're going to carry them. And we're going to put our faith and carry them a bit closer to the Lord. And then we're going to make changes in what we do during the weeks. And we're going to press the issue. We're going to push out the boat. We're going to serve these men and we're going to bring them to Christ. We're going to carry them to Jesus. And hear Jesus say, son, your sins are forgiven because of our faith and carrying them. We're going to do that. And so some of them were praying. And uh, they were praying for a particular individual. And he said, yeah, I keep trying to get in touch with him. And he keeps saying he's going to come to a service with me. And, uh, and he doesn't come. And it's just going nowhere. So they prayed. As soon as they finished, his mobile phone went off. And it was the very man saying to him, right, I've been talking about coming to a service. And I want to come. Name the date. Let's go. It was the power of God. It was faith released. It was carrying on the wings of faith and prayer. And and not only that, it was a sign to every man in that cell group that God is in it. And that's not just for my cell group. That's for all that want to take it as a rhema word of God for you tonight. Rejoice, O barren who do not bear. That's like souls, isn't it? We're going to have souls. Oh, yeah, but I haven't saved someone for... You're going to have souls. We're going to rejoice. We're going to call those people that aren't saved as though they are. We're going to believe on the Lord that can bring life to the dead spirit and cause them to be raised up in Christ. We're going to start acting like Abraham. We're going to start rejoicing and believing because we are believers of the promise. We are children of the spirit. And verse 28 says, now we brethren as Isaac was are children of the promise. How wonderful what does that mean it means that god's blessing is over you you're children of the promise not children of the law law brings condemnation law throttles your christian's life your christian life but the promise awakens hope the promise awakens hunger the promise awakens joy The just shall live by faith. I've been preaching a lot on that recently. The just shall live by faith. Paul mentions that in in the book of Galatians. The just shall live by faith. He mentions it also in Romans. It's also mentioned in Hebrews. The just shall live by faith. And that's all about faith uh, faith in the faithfulness of God to bring about. In Habakkuk 2 verse 4. The just shall live by faith before that, God says to Habakkuk, write down the vision. Here's the promises. If it tarries, don't get discouraged because the just shall live by faith. But the proud man I have no delight in. Who is the proud man? The pride is all about the flesh. The pride is I'll do it without God. The pride is I'll do it on my terms. The pride brings you into slavery and bondage of hagar the pride gives birth to the flesh we are children of the promise but as he who was then born according to the flesh was that then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit even so it is now do you know when you really begin to move in liberty and freedom when you really begin to to grow in your trust issues with God and receive the kingdom as a child and just simply believe, not the promise so much as the God who backs up the promise. It's the God who backs up the promises you're hanging on to, not the promises alone. And begin to walk in the Spirit and walk in the promises of God and have that day-by-day relationship with God that Abraham did. And as God takes you through circumstances, He will cure you of your trust issues. He will cure you day by day and week by week. If you're walking by the promise and the Spirit, if it's about relationship and heart, God will cure you of your trust issues. He'll cure you of his, of your fear. And even when you fall, He'll lift you up. And even when you make mistakes, it's an opportunity for the grace of God. God to show his love for you. And slowly your heart will be melted so it's so soft and trustworthy that whatever storm or fire comes your way, you'll be in the place where you're so close to the Lord that, you, that his wings are around you. He is a shield to you, a strong tower. And you will just trust the Lord and you will be like Abraham. Nothing will be able to move you. You will be like a tree planted by the water side, a righteous woman, a righteous man, not by works of the law or outward Christian conformity, but by a heart that simply trusts and says, I believe you, Father. I believe you. Isn't that what Jesus was like on the cross when he died? He just believed him in the face of death and pain. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I trust you. I'm dying, but I trust you. I'm I'm crucified, but I trust you. I am abandoned even by you, but I trust you. I have no trust issues with you, Father. So as I die, I trust my life and my death into your hand. And on the third day, he rose again. God wants to touch our lives in our heart. He's not looking for external obedience motivated by fear. He's looking for hearts filled with the Holy Spirit, crying out with our spirit, you're my father, you're my Abba. He's looking for children. They're going to walk and just Trust in the promises of hope and rejoice even in the barren places, knowing that God leads you or allows you into a barren place to see His miracle. The things that you are facing, they are an opportunity for God to perform a miracle. Not always sensationally, but certainly supernaturally, God will bring you through every trial, every test, and every time you go through it, another trust issue will be solved. We are not like the children of the law who wandered around in the wilderness, never going forward into the land of the promise, never trusting God. We are like the children of Abraham. We are the Isaacs, not the Ishmaels. We are the children of the promise and the Spirit. And so the Bible says, cast out the slave woman and her son. We need to cast out fleshly thinking. We need to cast out unbelief. We need to cast it out. We need, we need to be brutal. I mean, Abraham. Sarah said, Isaac's being persecuted. And do you know what? Ishmael was teasing and persecuting Isaac and, and, and causing Isaac misery. And Sarah said, this can't go on, Abraham. You need to cast out the slave and Ishmael. And it seemed like a hard thing. And Abraham didn't want to do it. In fact, Abraham had said, God, if only Ishmael would live before you. But God said, only Isaac. Isaac's the promise. Even God wasn't sentimental. I mean, he looked after Ishmael and everything, but it wasn't God's plan. Cast it out. What does this mean? This means that we can't have one foot in the law and one foot in the spirit. We have to throw ourselves totally on the promises of God. We have to trust the Lord with all our heart. You'll make mistakes, but trust him as much as you can and cast out every work of the enemy, every temptation to back off from God, to do it in your own might, to your own strength. Cast out that thinking. This is talking about renewing our mind to the promises and the word of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, in this picture, we understand Abraham's our father, but we don't want to be feeling in bondage to the enemy We don't want to be walking in condemnation and fear. We don't want to be in a dark place on a scary mountain. We don't want to be in the torments of unbelief, worry, anxiety that the law brings. We don't want to be Ishmael constantly hoping that somehow we'll just be able to make it by ourselves because you've given up on us. We don't want that. We want to be the princess, the prince. We want to be the child of the promise, the child of the Spirit. We want to be on the mountain that's full of light and life and grace and forgiveness and angelic celebration. We want to be from the city that's above, not the mountain that's below. We want to rejoice in the barrenness because we trust you. We want to break forth and shout and call those things that are not as though they were because you said they will be. We want to be children of the promise and live as the heirs of God, not in fear, but in absolute assurance that God who began a good work in us will complete it in Christ Jesus. And we want to cast out of our lives all fleshliness and unbelief and throw ourselves daily on the mercies, providence and promises of God. If there's anyone in this place today and you say, well, I've not yet given my life to the Lord, now is your opportunity. Every one of us who are Christian here today has made that step of faith to believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Because if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and the Son of God, you will be saved. Are you ready now to take your first step in walking with God? Are you ready to become a child of promise, forgiven? Are you ready to walk the rest of your life hand in hand with the Father that sent his son to bring you home? If you are, I want you to lift your hand right where you're seated. Lift your hand to the Lord and I'm going to pray for you. Upstairs in the balcony and downstairs, just lift your hand. And we'll pray for you. Is there anyone? Yes, up there in the balcony. Anybody else? He lifted his body up on a cross for your salvation. If you're serious with God tonight, you'll lift your hand up to him and say, I own you, Jesus. Forgive me. Anybody else before we move on? Anyone else? Just lift your hand. Those of you that lifted your hand in a few moments time, someone's going to come and talk to you and give you a gift. But what we're going to do is we're going to believe right now in this time of ministry that the God of Abraham is going to come with his miracles and his promise and that the Holy Spirit is going to sweep through this place. We're going to see miracles and healings. We're going to see the ministry of God's grace in our lives. If you need a healing or a miracle or an answer of prayer, there's nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do to make it happen. Just trust him. And let His spirit come and minister to you let 's stand together we 're going to worship the Lord with this one song, and then we 're going to come back and we're going to open we 're going to open in Holy Spirit ministry for our lives. God is not finished with what he wants to do with us today.